Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you are good. We sing songs about your goodness, your faithfulness, and we know truly that you are so loving and kind and faithful to us, your people. And Father, we pray today as we think about what you have to say to us in your word today, you would again remind us of your faithfulness, of your loving kindness, and we pray that we will be convicted by your word, we will be encouraged by your word, we will be blessed by you, and that we will just respond with faith, with worship, with adoration unto you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Sihana read the passage for us. And it's the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you look at the book of Matthew chapters 5 through 7, it's what people commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. It is obviously a teaching of Jesus and it's kind of put together in three chapters, and it's, you know, it's great stuff. Obviously, what better preacher, what better teacher is there than Christ himself? And so for us, we are so blessed even having this teaching from Christ himself that he gave to the multitude, to the crowds, right? The, the teaching he gave to his disciples. And we see in the passage that he sat down, the disciples came to him, and the Sermon on the Mount, you know, a lot of scholars will say it really wasn't necessarily a mountain, it might have been more of a hill, wasn't maybe that high, but the term Sermon on the Mount was coined by none other than Augustine, uh, obviously one of the ancient church fathers, very well known, um, and you know, great man of God, and he coined the term, it's been there for 1600 years, so we call it that, and when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're reminded, obviously, of, of Moses, right? we're reminded of Mount Sinai, if you look at the book of you know, Exodus and beyond, you know, we see God saving his people, God bringing his people out of slavery, out of bondage, you know, in Egypt and rescuing them. Obviously, he uses Moses as his servant in doing this great act. And then when they're out of Egypt, they're on Mount Sinai and God gives them teaching. He teaches his people how to live and obviously he uses Moses in doing this as his servant. And now we're reminded in the Sermon on the Mount that Christ is the true, the greater Moses, right? You know, whereas you know, Moses was an instrument, Christ himself is the one who comes into the world to deliver us, his people, out of bondage, out of slavery, to sin. Christ actually dies for us, his people, to bring us freedom. And now we see Christ, the greater Moses, you know, teaching his people, us, his disciples, about what it means to live as a child of God, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we see in the Sermon on the Mount just amazing teaching, and it starts with what we call here the Beatitudes. Right? The Beatitudes are from verse 2 through really 12. And in preparing for this message, part of me wanted to just do all the Beatitudes but I realized it might be too much, so I kind of needed to figure out a way to break them apart. And I wanted to spend actually a number of weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. I thought it would be beneficial for, for 
for us as a church to think about what Jesus has to teach us. And the Beatitudes just means really blessings, right? It means blessings. In the Beatitudes, Christ is describing who is it? Who is it that is blessed? What does it mean to be blessed by God? And that's really kind of the point of our passage today, the point of our message today is, what does it mean for us to be blessed? You know, what, who is blessed? And why are we blessed? Right? Well, what does it mean to be blessed of God? And one thing I do want to say here is this. When we say blessed, I think a lot of people think of the word happy. Right? Blessed is happy. But I think it's too weak, right? Because blessed, because happiness often for us is kind of like an emotion, right? It comes and goes. When things are good, I'm happy. When things are bad, I'm not so happy. And to be blessed, to be blessed of God means I'm in right relationship with God, right? It means I'm in right standing with God. It means God has special favor on his people, the blessed people. God loves, God approves of his people. So to say that I am blessed, blessed of God, is, is really what we want, right? I'm in right relationship with God. I am favored by God. I am approved by God. I am loved by God. And knowing these things obviously makes us Right? We feel blessed in that sense. But the blessing, right, it's objective, it's concrete, it doesn't change. If I am a child of God, I will be blessed, period, end of story. And because I have that blessing, I can subjectively feel, existentially feel that blessing with joy, with peace, and with happiness. So today, really what I want to look at is, well, what does it mean? be blessed. What does it mean to be a child of God to be blessed? And there's three characteristics that I want to look at. It's, I mean, it's really right from the passage, verse 3, 4, and 5. First, right, we're blessed if we're poor in spirit. We're blessed if, if we're mourning. And if we're blessed if we are meek, right? Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And so I wanted to really take a look at those three things and to think and ask ourselves, well, what does it mean that I'm blessed? What does it mean that I'm a child of God who is loved, who is approved, who has favor from God? And three characteristics of those of us who are blessed, what is it? And so those three things, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek. First, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, to be honest, I remember as a kid reading the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't like it because who wants to be poor? Right? When, it, when it starts by saying blessed are the poor in spirit, if I, you know, if, I took a, if I took a poll and I asked everybody in this room who would like to be poor, I, I, I can't imagine even one hand going up to saying I want to be poor. Right? Because we, we don't want to be poor. Right? If anything, we probably want to be rich or at least comfortable enough to not have to worry about the financial burdens that come with life, right? We don't want to necessarily be poor. I remember, I think I was in high school, my father, who was a pastor, said to me one day, he said, do you want to follow in your father's footsteps and be a pastor? And I said, no. And he said, really? Why not? And I said, dad, I have a list. But on that list, probably top of that list was, I said, dad, I don't want to be poor, right? Uh, my dad planted a church when I was young, and I remember just tough times. And you know, my dad chuckled, right? But nobody necessarily wants to be poor. Well, that's, I take that back. There are a few people maybe 
They're into asceticism. Maybe they want that. But generally speaking, we don't want that. And so when you say here, blessed are the poor, we probably think, whoa, Jesus, what are you saying? But what he says is blessed are not the financially poor, materially poor. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so Jesus is not saying to be a child of God, you have to be financially poor. He's not saying that at all. He says you have to be poor in spirit. What does that mean? And it means we have to realize that we are spiritually bankrupt. But we have to realize that we have nothing in ourselves that makes us good enough to reach heaven, to reach God. You know, I think I've maybe shared this before. I remember doing a clinic for one week with Evangelism Explosion many years ago. And, you know, it's, they just kind of teach you how to evangelize. And it's one, it's, you know, there are many methods. It's one method. And one of the things we did was we would go outside and, you know, do street evangelism, talk to those people on the street. And, you know, it was weird for me at the time. But I remember going out, and they had us ask a very specific question. And the question was, if you were to die today, and if God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would be your answer? And interestingly, almost every single person I asked the question to, the answer was, because I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person, right? I heard that over and over and over. And they weren't Christians or anything like that, but they kept on saying, because I'm good, or I'm not as bad as some other people. I'm, I'm a relatively good person. And I think a lot of times people think that. We think we're, we're somehow good enough to earn God's favor. We're somehow good enough maybe even to be forgiven and saved. But the Bible is so clear. We're poor in spirit, meaning there is no good. I mean, the Bible is clear, right? While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, God showed us his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible is so clear that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. And the point is there is nothing in me that allows me to access God, that allows me to get to God. I'm a sinner. He is holy. I deserve righteous condemnation. I deserve hell. And by, but because of Christ's work on the cross, because of his love, I am forgiven and saved. But here's the thing. Even after I'm saved, I can't rest on my own laurels and think, okay, well, now that I'm saved, look at all my good works, God. I am so good. Because, again, when we look at our lives, we're broken people. And it is only by his grace we have been saved, but it's only by really his grace that we continue to grow and be sanctified. Yes, of course, I need to put in my best effort, and yet it is ultimately all his grace that supports everything that I do. So the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you want to go to God, if you want to be blessed of God, your posture is one of humility. Not pridefulness. You can't go before God thinking, God, look at all these things I've done for you. Look at all the goodness. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. I serve. I give. I give my time. I give my money, right? I do all these different things. No, he's saying you have to come before God realizing you're a sinner. You're more sinful than you could ever imagine. And yet, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven, when I go before my God, 
knowing how broken I am, knowing that I'm spiritually bankrupt, and I cling on to the cross, thinking there's no good in me, but I need you, Jesus. What happens? We are forgiven. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are saved, and we become inheritors of heaven, where we become children of God. So it's a beautiful thing that I go before God with nothing, with humility, knowing that I am nothing, and yet, because of Christ, I have everything. I am so blessed. So, so blessed are the poor in spirit, but then he continues, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And again, doesn't sound great. Blessed are the poor, it makes you feel like, oh, I don't want to be poor. But then, blessed are those who mourn. Who wants to mourn? Who wants to cry? Who wants to weep? It doesn't sound like a good thing. It doesn't sound like a blessing at all. I think if it was up to us, we probably would say blessed are the rich and blessed are those who are happy, right? But blessed are those who are poor in spirit, but also blessed are those who mourn. When I think of mourning, honestly, I think of sickness, I think of death, but I think of sadness. You know, when you go to a funeral, you mourn, you weep. We're broken. We've all lost loved ones, and it's hard. I remember I think when I was in seminary, I was in my 20s. Uh, my grandfather had cancer, and he was, he was just about to pass. He was just about to pass, and my parents were in Korea. He was in Korea, and they, they called me. because They wanted me to talk to my grandfather one more time before he passed away, because he was pretty much, you know, he was on his deathbed. And I remember talking to him, and it was interesting. I was actually a youth pastor at the time, and I had a you know, van full of students. They were all sleeping which is kind of a bummer when you're tired. But then, at that day, I was actually happy they were all sleeping because I started weeping. I was talking to my grandfather for the last time, and I knew it was my last time. And I remember talking to him. I couldn't, it was hard to make out his words, but I was trying to hear what he was trying to say to me. And I just remember just, just weeping because I knew this was it. I knew I was never going to see him again. And when you lose loved ones, you mourn. And when you think of mourning, that's what you think of. You think of sadness. You think of death. You think of sickness. But here, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about weeping for lost loved ones. He's not talking about those kinds of things. He's talking about mourning because of my sin. He's talking about mourning because I know I have sinned against God. I have broken his commandments. He, my creator, my redeemer who loves me so much, and yet I have sinned against him, and that is why I mourn. I want to ask, do we mourn? When we sin, do we actually mourn of our sins? Is there a godly sorrow in us? You know, when you talk to children, a lot of times, or even teenagers, I realize they're sorry, not necessarily for what they did, but because they got caught. Right? You see that again and again, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. Why? Because I got caught. Because I got caught, because I found out, I got exposed, I'm sorry. But are we sorry for hurting that person that I love? But if you think about, for example, in a marriage, if a husband was to cheat on his wife or a wife was to cheat on her husband, right? That's, the husband can't say to his wife, well, I'm a sinner, Right? That's what happened. I'm sorry, forgive me. Right? You can't keep it in the abstract. It's a very personal thing. You've broken 
right? Your promise, your covenant that you made. And so what happens is that it's a personal offense. And so what does the husband or the wife do to their spouse? They go before them, maybe they get on their knees and they beg for forgiveness and say, I'm so sorry, forgive me because I know I've hurt you, right? I've hurt you. It's a very personal offense. A lot of times when we sin against God, we think of it in the abstract, oh, I'm a sinner. It happens. But it's personal. I'm breaking God's commandments. And when I love something more than God, I'm cheating on God himself. My idolatry becomes really adultery against God. And so my sinfulness is not just an abstract thing. Well, I sin. God forgive me. And I move on. I'm breaking God's heart. And so, yes, even if I'm a Christian, I know I'm forgiven of those sins. And yet, because I know those sins are against God, it's personal. I need to mourn. Not because of the consequence, but because I am sinning against God, the one who created me, the one who loves me, the one who redeems me. And that is why I mourn. There has to be a godly sorrow. Father, forgive me. I cannot believe again. I've taken advantage of your grace, and I've sinned against you. So I mourn, and I repent. And when I do that, what does the Bible promise? They shall be comforted. It's a beautiful thing. I think of the prodigal son story, where you have the younger brother, right? He takes his share of the inheritance. He leaves the father, he spends it all, he wastes it all, and then he realizes, I've sinned against my father. So what does he do? He clicks, he comes back to his father, and he's repenting. Father, forgive me, I've sinned against, I've sinned against you, right? And he's broken, but in that moment, what do we see the father doing? He runs to his son, right? He hugs his son, he, he's, he, he clothes him in the best robes. He even kills the fattened calf for him as a that his son came back. What's going on? That's the Father's love that we see. And so blessed are those who mourn, meaning when I realize that I am spiritually bankrupt and when I realize that I have sinned against God himself, it is personal and I'm weeping and I'm repenting and going before God. Here's the comfort. I know that he loves me, that he forgives me, that he hugs me, and that he is always with me. That is a huge blessing. Now, I don't want to take advantage of that blessing, of that grace. Why? Because I know every time I sin, yeah, I might be forgiven, but I'm again breaking God's heart. And so I look to God who loves me, who I love, and I say, forgive me. I mourn for my sins, and I desire, obviously, to repent to cling on to Christ even more because I want to be sanctified. I want to grow. I want to sin no more, and I want to be more and more like you. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But also, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And again, that sounds bad. I don't know how many of us know the word meek, but when you hear meek, at least for me, I, hear, I think of weak, right? Meek sounds weak. You think of meek, you think of somebody who's quiet, somebody who doesn't know how to stand up for themselves, somebody who gets taken advantage of, maybe like a doormat, and you think, I don't want to be a meek person, I want to be a strong person, I want to be an assertive person. That's what we think of. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
What does that mean, to be meek? Sometimes the translations have it as gentle. It actually is a hard word to translate, but I think gentleness is helpful. Gentle strength, I think, might be helpful. I think the idea is this. In our culture, it is all about puffing myself up, bringing myself up, making myself look good, and asserting my rights. So for example, when you write a resume, I'm sure we've all done it, my resume is not about how honest I want to be necessarily, right? It's about looking good, right? So you take your truths and you try to spin it in a way to make yourself look as good as possible. When you go to an interview for school, for work, whatever it might be, again, what are you doing? You're trying to put your best foot forward. It's about kind of making myself look good. And in our society, it's about obviously puffing myself up, but also it's about asserting my rights. If somebody wrongs me, I say that's an unjust, right? We put the, our foot down, we say that's wrong, you can't treat me that way, these are my rights, my privileges, this is how I should be treated. And so what do we do? We use our strength to make ourselves higher, to assert ourselves. And that's not, you know, not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but really, what is Jesus saying here? Blessed are the meek, meaning this. He's saying, you know you're poor in spirit, meaning you know you're spiritually bankrupt. You know that you deserve nothing, but it's all by grace you have been saved. So you mourn for your sinfulness, and you know that you're comforted because of what Christ has done. So now you have a humility towards God, but you need a humility towards others, meaning my life cannot be about making myself look good all the time. My life cannot be about asserting myself all the time. All of my strength should not be used up saying, make myself look better, assert myself. It's all about me, me, me. He's saying, blessed are the meek. Meaning, if you know that you're spiritually bankrupt but loved by God, if you know that you've sinned against him and yet you are loved and forgiven and comforted, then you trust in that Lord. And you say, I don't have to waste all my strength making it all about me. I'm able to use my strength to make it about you, to make it about others. It's humility. It's Christian humility. I think uh, there's a famous quote that says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. I like the quote. Humility is not saying, I'm bad at everything. Humility is saying self-forgetfulness. Is thinking of yourself less. Blessed are the meek. Meek meaning my strength that I have. I don't want to use it all on making my life a certain way, asserting myself. I'm so blessed already by God, by his grace. And I realized that I was poor in spirit. I'm mourning. I'm, I'm being comforted. I'm being blessed. And so I trust in the Lord. that He has my back. He's with me. And I say, Lord, how can I use all of my energy and strength to worship you, obviously, but also now to bless others, to use my strength for the sake of others, not always focusing on how do I make my life better and assert myself. But I'll be honest, that's hard. So hard to do. How do I live my life for others and not for myself? How do I say, Lord, it's not about me, 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 but it's about you, God, and you about others. How do I love God and love my neighbor? And again, it's 
when I look at Christ. Blessed are the meek. What did Christ do? He's God. God himself decided to leave the comforts of heaven and come into this world as a man. God himself decided willingly to go to the cross. If you really think about that, it's crazy. It makes no sense. The God who created us for the sake of us, who sinned against him, he would go to the cross, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would use his strength, not for himself, but he would use his strength, his power, to die on a cross and to forgive sinners like us. And when we realize how loved we are, how blessed we are, then I can say, Lord, I want to be like you. Because I trust in you. I know you're working for my good already. I know that I was spiritually bankrupt and I'm a sinner who deserves nothing and yet you comfort me, you love me, you bless me, you forgive me, you give me eternal life, you continue to work powerfully in my life. So now instead of thinking about how to better myself all the time, it's about me, me, me. As I look to Christ who on the cross said, you, this is for you because I love you. I now can be like you, Jesus, and want to be a blessing to others and love others, and serve others, and treat others with loving kindness. And so my, my hope, my prayer, my encouragement this afternoon is, as we look at these Beatitudes, as we look at the Savior who taught us these Beatitudes, as we realize again how poor in spirit we are, as we realize how weak we are, but how blessed we are by him that we would just cling on to Jesus and with humility worship him, but also with humility be a blessing to those around us as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you are so good. We thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you that we have a Savior humbled himself to the point of death upon the cross. And Father, we pray today that we would be like Christ and that we would desire to be a blessing to others, knowing how poor in spirit we are but knowing how loved and blessed we are, that we would seek to be a blessing to all around us as well. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.